All right, y'all. Part three coming up in just one second here on the Chasing Most Podcast, presented by Blue Wire Pods. Thank you guys for making the Chasing Most Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and however you listen to the Chasing Most Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. If you haven't already, please make sure you tell a friend, coworker, family member about the Chasing Most Podcast. Why you like listening to it, especially like the full ride here with fellow University of North Georgia alumni. Matt Green, uh, a lot of fun being able to talk all things college football with Matt. Uh, a lot of realignment stuff still uh, on the docket here, but um, we did some Power 5 head coaching rankings, Power 5 and Group of 5 head coaching rankings, and where our top 10 landed. It was pretty. It was a pretty fun exercise to kind of get a feel for where we're at. Uh, the new blue chip ratio from Bud Elliott on uh, 247 Sports about uh, which teams can realistically win a college football national championship this season. Some more uh, expansion stuff, Penn State uh, being the best setup team to beat Ohio State this year, perhaps. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun, uh, all things college football here before we get into the preview shows starting next week on this very program. So look out for that on the Chase Most Podcast feed here on Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, don't forget, you can watch this very program on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Most Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. Email the program. Any questions for Matt or myself? Uh, guess what? You can email us at Chase Most Podcast at gmail.com tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right let's wrap up here on a friday yeah happy friday guys uh uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back here on a late wednesday night edition of the chase most podcast the full ride here on the chase most podcast with fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is good to be back again, talking ball as we do. Just ready for college football season, man. We're, we're getting closer and closer, 51 days as folks are listening to this on a Thursday. Um, and, you know, it's not far at all. It's not far at all at all. Um, you and I, we saw each other in person this weekend, much to the <laughs> chagrin of my father, who will be listening to this portion of like mm. the whole episode of the pod, but very upset that uh, he couldn't see you over the weekend. But then we went to go see you. So it was one of those things where, uh, you know, it, it like life works out like that. We got the dog involved. No Zeus and Maddox, so I couldn't do a checkup on the knee and see how Zeus is progressing on that front. But uh by all accounts, uh, a great uh, in great shape and great spirits. You got the dog cam going, so you can always see what they're up to. <laughs> it was a fun brunch. It was a fun brunch. It was. It was good stuff, man. I, uh, I'm glad I got to see you. Disappointed didn't get to see your pops, though. That's, uh, you know, always like to meet a fan, uh, a very <laughs> loyal listener to the pod. But, um, yeah, we'll have to see him. Let's set that up at some point. But um, yeah, man, it was it was uh, it was good seeing you. I, apparently, you never done mimosas and at brunch before. Just gonna pour the champagne straight into the orange juice like an amateur. I don't know what that move was, but you know, I uh, I caught you before you made a an irreversible mistake. Two things. One, <laughs> the fiance also was out here just like over the top just don't like not the bubble situation was not a part of her uh pouring oh, situation true. remember that was a thing but also 
I was under the impression that we all got our own little cups. And I did not realize, because I thought when he was passing around, I did not pay that close attention. But I thought there were orange juice glasses for each person at the table. So I was pouring my individual one in there. I did not realize that there was one cup until you astutely uh, made a note of it and stopped a disaster from (laughs) taking place. I was all over it, sir. But it was fun. It was fun. And the food was good. Those were some of the best potato wedges I've had in a really long time. We were talking about that for a while. It was really good food. It's excellent. Really good food. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, Tori and I think uh, Samantha, they hit it off. There was a a lot of crossover. It was was fun. It was a good conversation. Good vibe. So I was glad that it all went well. Without a doubt. She's uh, she's way too cool for you. So uh, so well (laughs) done, sir. Everyone is. Hey, you got to <laughs> outkick your coverage. Both it of us is. outkicked our coverage, and that's just how you got to do it. That is the way you do it. Uh, 51 days until college football, and you picked, uh, Matt Green, someone that Georgia fans have no love for. No love. Is this what's a surprise? Because I didn't think you would pick a Florida Gator uh, if you could help I it. I did. So I was going, you know, racking my brain, uh, doing the, the research that I can. Hard research to come up with uh, mm. this. But uh, a few candidates I came up with. Uh, John Vilma, mm. you know, middle linebacker on one of the greatest college football, maybe the greatest college football team of all time, uh, the 01 Miami Hurricanes. Also uh, a, a still, a, still a legend, still in the college football world. Pat Fitzgerald was 51 hmm. back in, uh, I think, 95, I think was the year he graduated. Um, so that was, Pat Fitzgerald was a candidate, but you are correct. I went a little more modern here in our era of college football, if you will. Not, I was never a fan of him as a player, but hmm. game, game recognized game, right? Uh, Brandon Spikes, number 51. Uh, dude was just a baller. Three-time first-team All-SEC, two-time consensus All-American. I think... 2008 Florida, even though they did have a loss for my, for my money, that's one of the greatest teams in college football history. Like just absurd. The, the, the group of playmakers that they had around Tebow and, and for all of Tebow's faults, if the way we we're going to use them was short passes and fullback powers up the middle, boom, like that was your guy. He, uh, they knew how to use him for sure. But yeah, I remember uh, Brandon spikes, one of my worst memories as a uh, college football fan, I'll hmm. say, 2008 Georgia, Florida. I don't know if this one sticks out to you. I think everyone knows about 07 Georgia, Florida. Georgia rushed the field on the first touchdown. Mm-hmm. Gator stomp, I think, as they called it. Urban Meyer wrote a book that <laughs> offseason. Didn't forget it. Like I think they did 188 sets of like everything the entire offseason because of no Sean Marino's 188 rushing yards he had on Florida the year before. So Florida had circled this game with Georgia all season long. The story I've heard secondhand from from Florida fans is that Brandon Spikes was walking around downtown Gainesville all week just telling anyone who would listen, first time I see no Sean – like I'm lighting him up, basically. Like I'm putting him on his on his back. Whatever he would say, I, however Brandon Spikes would say it. Mm-hmm. And then, sure enough, and then if you remember 2008, it's remember is such an awful season for Georgia fans. Preseason mm-hmm. number one and everything. Lost Alabama in the blackout. But going into the Florida game, I think Florida's number three. Georgia's like number five. Like both like seven and one, eight and one. Like national mm-hmm. game of the week and everything. First play of the game, no Sean up the middle. Brandon Spikes meets him. 
just pops him right just drives him backwards lays on him for like five seconds who knows shouting obscenities in his face who knows what he, he said to him and me and my brother just looked at each other right then and there like we're about to get smashed and mm. i can't remember selective memory i don't know the exact score of that game but i think it was something like 49 10 and georgia mm. absolutely got smashed by the team that would go on to win the national championship so not a fond memory of mine, but Brandon Spikes, he was a dude. Four four defensive touchdowns in his uh, last two years in college, too. So he hmm. was just, just a playmaker all around. I mean, if you're going to get smashed, you want to get smashed by the eventual champion, right? Like, that's the way, the way to go. So you, it doesn't hurt without, as much. Without a doubt. Um, and honestly, this is one of the things that kind of opened me, like, opened my eyes. I remember at the time to, like, defensive stats – because around this time, Rennie Curran was still at Georgia and mm. just racking up like 130, 140 tackles. And I'm just thinking like, this guy's not getting any love. You know, he's like leading the SEC in tackles, that sort of thing, being the, the biased Georgia fan that I was. But like, you look at Brandon Spikes, 131 tackles as a sophomore. Like that's on a team that went nine and four, you know, giving up a lot of points. And mm. then as the team gets better, then he, then he has 93 tackles. And then as a senior, he's got 68 tackles. Because when you're truly playing elite defense, your guys get off the field. And, like, you saw that with Georgia this past year. Like, N'Kobe Dean, best linebacker in the country, he had, like, 70 tackles on the year because it was just elite defensive play and, and you get your guys off the field. It wasn't – when Georgia had Marlo Herrera and Ramik Wilson <laughs> leading mm. the SEC in tackles, I think they were both one and two one year. It's like it's mm-hmm. not a good thing to have the top two tackle leaders in the conference on your team. That's not a good sign for your defense. Spikes also was one of the cooler looking players, right? He had the visor, which you and I are both proponents of, but he also had, I remember the gloves. Like Spikes had the gloves that were just super cool to me where they felt like it, it was just different for him and he stood out as a linebacker right you know what i'm talking about i feel like they were the first team that started rocking like colored gloves yes because there was that era from like i don't know 97 to like i guess like 2007 2008 where everyone had to wear gray gloves so was there Mm -hmm. some combination of gray gloves in college football but yeah i remember i do remember him being like the first guy that would rock like orange gloves or, or something like that but yeah he was a he was a baller i think he's the kind of guy that everyone wants in the middle of their defense just setting the tone yeah i agree i mean he was he was a player uh surprised it did not work out for him long term in the nfl he was at he was with the pay uh, the patriots for for a cup of coffee but he really didn't didn't stick uh for a long period of time but i think the rennie current issue was that he was a brickwood kid and this is a uh, Parkview situation so i think if he had uh, <laughs> been in the right district uh in high school maybe more love uh comes his way because i mean just there's that part view that could be it that part view situation there um would well, be a thing for georgia the last thing i'll say yeah. for a while like rennie curran left after his junior year mm-hmm. like i don't even know was he a fourth round fifth round like no disrespect to rennie curran or anything but it's like brandon spikes was all american like the best hits player in the country this guy comes back for his senior year we're just like what's going on how are how are there players that are better than ours coming back for their senior year yeah, I have no memory of Rennie Curran in the NFL. Now I'm like curious to see who even got I drafted. I know he was by. drafted by the Titans. I'm pretty sure he was drafted, okay. but yeah, I mean, he was, for a guy left early, he was not picked very high. I don't know exactly where he went, but I mean, what was he, like 5'9", 220, 230? Mm. He was a bowling ball. He could tackle, though. He could the one that hurt was Jarvis better. Jones, right? Like, he was just so much fun in college, and it was just the injuries and everything else. You're like, this dude, man, he was fun to watch, and it was just... It, 
he just couldn't stay healthy at the pros. He kind of had that David Pollock thing going where it was just like he was such a monster at Georgia and just became the personification of that defense for a couple of years uh, and a fan favorite. And then just injury prevented him from really uh, becoming a NFL all-timer. It's kind of sad because Jarvis and Pollock were both just wrecking balls and just unblockable on the edge. Yeah, for sure. Jarvis Jones is definitely a, uh, a fan favorite. Mm. I think he... I think he beat David Pollock's single season sack record. Uh, hmm. Basically, single handedly beat Florida in 2011 and 2012. I think he had like eight sacks in, in those two games. But yeah, Jarvis Jones was a, was a beast, and I mean, and he had the the whole neck thing mm-hmm. uh, injury for why he got uh, what like medically disqualified at USC. The only reason he even ended up at Georgia. I didn't even realize there was a crossover in the kind of injuries that they had. That's interesting. Oh yeah, uh, I didn't think about that either. Because the two neck things. I don't know. I don't know what his pro, what his injury was in the pros, but I'm not sure either. But he like went to the pros and like there was just the medical red flags when he was yeah. gone, and there were question marks of how it was going to work. But I don't know. Uh, shout out to Jarvis Jones on a great college career. Uh, David Pollock too. Both uh, both pretty awesome back in the day. Um, 44 next week. I'm excited about because I'm trying to think of who pops for 44. Uh, I feel like the first thing I think of is all the Syracuse guys. They like, yeah. What do they have? Three different ones that were like legendary. That's uh, interesting. Number forty-four, but um, Mm. I don't know. We'll have to have to rack my brain. Any any fifty ones? Tennessee fifty ones come to come to mind? Not really. Like there's a forty-five for AJ Johnson, and I'm trying to think for forty. Oh yeah, met him in downtown Knoxville one time. You, did you? AJ the Johnson. One time, the one time I uh, went to Knoxville, saw Georgia, Tennessee. I actually met him downtown. Hmm. Okay. He was. Uh, he. He. I. I feel like he seemed very impressed that a group of Georgia fans like knew who he was. It was like, it's like, oh, this guy plays for Tennessee. I was like, Gainesville High School, bro. <laughs> I definitely recognize you. He was like, he looked like he was kind of blown away by it. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, red elephants. Let's go. Yes, let's uh, go. And you were like, "Hey, one day I'll be a Tequila Falcon." You should go to Georgia, man. What do you What do you do with this orange? You You don't want this. This This is what you want. All right, that's enough. <laughs> um, SEC presidents may want to stay at sixteen teams. Matt Green. Uh, this came out this week in Saturday Down South. Uh, Matt Hayes wrote about this and talking to some sources. Uh, I think one particular president said that uh, they are good at sixteen. But then I had Andy Staples on uh, yesterday. And uh, talking about uh, where things were going and Staples made the point where it's like, yeah, they're saying that now because the SEC is not making the next move is essentially what they're saying. It's like we're good at 16 if no one else does it, anything. So that's kind of where the SEC is at is that like we'll make a lot of money if we just stick with Texas and Oklahoma. We're fine sticking with that. Like we're good. We're going to get in the playoff where we have the brands we want. We have the TV contract that we want. We're okay. There's no rush or interest in adding Oregon and Washington just for the sake of adding or whoever it is like they're fine, Um, which is interesting because that does make sense. And it also speaks to the fact that they have no interest, it seems like, in diving into the ACC mess with ESPN and the ACC network and the grant of rights and stuff like that, where it's like, no, we can just wait that one out for 10 years. Uh, we're going to make a bunch of money for the next 10 years with or without the premier brands in the ACC. Um, and they're already on ESPN and they can find their own deal or whatever with the Pac-12 and all that kind of stuff. But like, ultimately, we could just get them in 10 years. The the Clemsons, the Florida State or whoever, there's no rush. Like, we're okay. But if Notre Dame 
joins a conference and talking to Andy and where he's heard and what like talking to other people, it seems like the only way for Notre Dame to join a conference is if the playoff is the format's changed where the governing body decides, hey, only teams that play in a conference can qualify to compete in the playoff. And then they're like, all right, we'll we'll jump in. But that's the only way is like they have to mandate it in the college football playoff committee that this is the new role. When we expand, Notre Dame cannot or any uh, independent team cannot make the college football playoff without being in a conference. So that would change a lot. And obviously they would go to the Big Ten if that were the case. They're not going to go to the ACC, even though they've been playing an ACC schedule and across all other sports are doing that. That won't be the case. But I do wonder what happens because Andy thinks that what happens first is they figure out the playoff before the leagues are settled. The league alignment is settled, which is interesting because if you throw in a like a playoff expansion and then it's like, all right, well, we can't like, how do you figure out who gets the guaranteed bids into the playoff if the leagues aren't settled? So it there's still a lot more of a mess awaiting college football, I feel like, than a lot of folks anticipate. But it does feel like everyone is kind of waiting on, like basically nothing's going to change until the college football playoff is expanded and new wrenches are thrown into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, I just, like, is the, if, like what is really going to cause Notre Dame to really join a conference? Like, do you think that they're like, well, it's the we, playoff, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like it's literally, they tell them you cannot compete in the playoff without it. No, but if they're, if they're going to change the playoff, it's like they're going to go to an eight team playoff, right? Like, I would say 12 to 16, 12 to See, I, don't, I just don't know about that. That's a lot, but it's possible. But if you're increasing that many teams, I don't know why you would then, mandate a conference championship or being at like just participation in a conference is like, like, I don't know why once you go to eight, it seems like eight now makes it easier to, to not require a conference champion. Right. If we go to like four super conferences and we want four conference champions, then yeah, you like have to join a conference to be involved in that, but that's not where it's going to go. Right. And obviously the sec wouldn't sign on for that because they're getting two teams in with the 14 playoff right now. But I feel like there's, I mean, it's hard to say there's not going to be anything before the playoff uh, contract expires. Like that's after the 2025 season, I believe. Mm -hmm. So we have four more seasons. Well, no, they can change it now. Like that's the whole thing is they can go back into the room and change it now. I'm, they, they can change the playoff before. Like they can, yeah, they they can go in. Yes. Basically what, like it seems like they can do whatever they want to do. Like it's just money is no like they can do whatever. That's when it's technically uh next up for debate. But if they want to go in there and meet and change this, they can do that. I think the only thing I don't think the playoff is ever gonna strong arm Notre Dame and joining a conference. I think the mm. only thing that could stop Notre Dame or that could make join Notre Dame join a conference is the other teams maybe just don't schedule Notre Dame as much. Like if, if Notre Dame is dependent on some of these, you know, power five games or whatever we're calling those conferences at that point, if they're just not routinely getting those games as much as they once were, like that might be enough to get them in a conference. And I don't know if everyone collectively is going to do something like that. 
because they obviously have those built-in rivalries with USC. Like, you know, Michigan, it's not an every year thing, but it's a, a lot of year type thing. So, like, I just – I wonder if we get to more uh, just these super conferences and maybe everyone's playing nine, ten conference games – if then you'll just see these other super conferences want to play the other super conferences, maybe they get some sort of, you know, contractual, like how the NFL does their schedule where this is the year that NFC South plays the AFC East or something like that, you know, and they all the games line up. Like if, if we see in the future, okay, everyone's playing nine conference games and we have three other power five conferences, power four conferences, well, now you have one Pac-12 game, one Big 12 game, one ACC game just automatically on your on your schedule. Like, I think that's the only way that Notre Dame is is really like pushed into joining a conference because I don't think the playoff is really is going to keep them out. Like, there's no reason to keep them out, really. Well, I think it's just more of like the uniformity where you want like. A, it's better television, so the TV like the Big Ten wants them in there, and it's better TV games. Like they've been playing, they play a tough schedule. Like I think Notre Dame gets discounted for the kind of schedule they play um, each and every year. But I think it's just more of like the TV revenue. Notre Dame, Michigan, Notre Dame, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Who insert team here? USC, obviously. Um, I think it's just more of that uniformity where they're in there, and it just the big 10 gets a lot more money. And I think the Notre Dame would make a lot more money in that scenario. If they go into the big 10 and the big 10 rights, TV rights deal is gigantic and inflated even more with the kind of brand that Notre Dame would bring in. They would have a lot of leverage and they would get a good deal. And I mean, they'd make, (laughs) they would make a fortune moving into the big 10. If they were to do that. Um, I don't know. I hope they eventually do. Cause they're just, they're such a big 10 team. I feel Mm -hmm. like in 2022, it just seems. Wait, like hold on. When you think of the Atlantic Coast, you don't think of South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> no, not quite. It's it's a mm. little it's a little removed from the Atlantic Coast. But um, well, who goes in with them? Because it's an odd number if Notre Dame goes in by themselves. Like that's something that's we don't talk good, about enough. Someone has to go in with them. That is a good point. And it's like I wish they would just trade. Like no one wants Rutgers in this conference, right? No one. Mm-hmm. Maybe Maryland. Maybe this is how Maryland gets out. Like Maryland never wanted to join to begin with, but obviously it was a it was a financial thing to to begin with with them, but. I wish like in Boston College. That'd be interesting. Throw them in there, the Boston market. I don't yeah, know. you could throw in Boston College for sure. I um, yeah, because I feel like you do have to. You can't have an odd number of teams. Like I mean, granted, the Big Ten had eleven for for That's the longest true. time, right? So I don't like it though. You can't have you odd, con- like odd number divisions and conferences. I don't like it. If they find a cool way to sneak it in the logo, then I, I'm cool <laughs> with it. But um, uh, no, I just. It, it, it would it would be awesome if they could just keep it at 16 and, and really do what I said and, and put Maryland back in the ACC or something like that. Like, because the ACC would be struggling to get up to 16. Like, Maryland would help them. Like, I don't know who they go with after. Like, that would be 15, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you go, Memphis or something? Like, I don't. Well, I think I Memphis know, so- is going to the Big 12. Like, they're, it seems like they're, the Big 12 is building the premier basketball conference. And I think that's where their mm-hmm. head's at is, I think that's, there's a reason that you hire the commissioner or for someone who has a lot of experience running NBA teams and being with the nets and having a basketball background is if you see the writing on the wall for football and you're like, we still want to compete. It's not like we're giving up on football, but maybe we pivot to become the premier basketball conference, which is another revenue sport that could make a lot of money for a lot of these universities and become that. And I mean, if, 
that's the case, I totally get it. If the Big 12 were to pivot on that front, because it's also like Big 12 football is fun. Like there are seven teams right now that could win the conference this year. And it's inter- it's an entertaining product. It's a fun product. Um, and I think it's just people talk about the doom and gloom of this stuff. It's like, oh, Texas and Oklahoma. It's like Baylor was almost in the national in the college football playoff this past year in uh, Oklahoma State just being one yard short of getting into the playoff. Like they'll be fine. There's a lot of good football programs. And when people talk about brands, part of what you miss is that if Baylor and Oklahoma state are really, really good and their uh, recruiting is elevated because Oklahoma and Texas are out of their conference and they have more, uh, they have a lot more success, a lot more 10 win seasons, a lot more conference title wins the state of the program changes. Like Clemson is now viewed as a big, big time national brand. This was never the case up until a decade ago. They were solid, but they weren't someone that you thought of as like one of the premier brands, blue blood types of college football. And I think Baylor and Oklahoma state can absolutely jump into that conversation. TCU could get jump into that conversation. There are a lot of programs that can win a lot of games and become premier brand in this conference without texas and oklahoma so i I don't like when people talk about the brand losing that brand stuff it's i'm like someone's gonna rise like yes these don't look sexy now but if you get three or four playoff appearances by one of these programs who've just been really good but have hit these walls for a long period of time we're gonna see them completely differently we're we're gonna look at them as like oh they were always close now they're like a possibility of winning a national title. And that's just, that can happen when you open it up like this. Without a doubt, like pre pre 2015, like you could easily argue that Oklahoma state was a better program than Clemson. There are at Mm. least like two programs that are like right, right there together. So I think Oklahoma state, they feel like the biggest brand like left in the big 12, but also, like these best of the rest, they're getting to to join the conference. Like I think Memphis fits in with those, with, mm-hmm. with Houston and and UCF and Cincinnati and BYU. Like together, that can that can create a pretty solid conference. Like that's that's who TCU was basically 10, 12 years ago. They were the best of the rest, and then the Big Twelve picked them up. So and TCU is another program that we kind of forget about. That's like you know they're in a big market in Texas, like. You know, Texas leaving the Big 12 could definitely open things up for them as well. So I um I really there's there's just not that many like like legitimate brands left. Like if we're trying to go to four 16 team conferences like uh, the Big 12 losing Texas, Oklahoma, gaming these four like that's going to put them at 12. Like, how do you get to four more? You know, like I don't know. Like, who do you? Like, does App State get picked up by the ACC or something? Coastal Carolina? Like, are they big time enough? Like, I don't think the ACC is adding. I think because they're grant a rights deal and because there's so much uncertainty on that front and who's trying to jump ship and, like, the legal questions, I don't think the ACC is adding. I, I think because their TV deal is locked up for a while, because there's uncertainty about what the biggest brands in the conference want to do, I don't think the ACC is adding. I think they're stuck. I mean, 14 is still a big conference. Right. It's not necessarily like you you necessarily have to do something. I think they're kind of sitting ducks. I think they're healthy and fine for 10 years, but I think they're sitting ducks. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't foresee the ACC adding, but what I do. mm, Go ahead. Go ahead. I do foresee the PAC 12 and the big 12 adding as a last ditch effort. So I think we're going to see like San Diego state and Boise wind up in the PAC 12. I think we're going to see, 
Fresno uh, State or yeah. someone like that. Right. And then I think we're going to see the Big 12 add Memphis, uh, maybe South Florida, maybe um, yeah. who else are we missing? Maybe Colorado State. I don't know. Uh, SMU, who people SMU forget. SMU is probably a candidate, yeah, for sure. The Pony Express. Like, people forget they were a premier big-time program. And, I mean, maybe one of the uh, academies gets added. Uh, maybe they, uh, maybe the Raging Cajuns. Maybe Louisiana can get in there. I don't think they touch the Sun Belt, man. And leave my Fun Belt alone. <laughs> I'm really excited for the Fun Belt. And I, I want that perfect conference. And let me just say, the Sun Belt's perfect. It has a bunch of FCS legends now in this conference. They are fun. They are the, they all play the most exciting brand of football. So if you're watching Marshall or Coastal, like Coastal is the most fun watch I think on this of anyone. Uh, Jimmy Chadwell just does amazing work with uh, his option pass stuff and just wheel routes out of like the wing tee. Like everything Coastal does is extremely fun and cool. So very pro Shannon Clears on this podcast, but no protect the Sun Belt at all costs. I don't think they're doing anything. Fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll leave the Sun Belt alone. But now that we, we break it down in that way, mm. it feels like Notre Dame to the ACC is the move, right? Mm. Like they're already in there with all the other con- with all their other sports. And if they might well, lose if, money in that situation, but if the Big Ten goes to is already at 16, SEC's mm. at 16, ACC's sitting here at 14 right now, Notre Dame is like, that's what would make solidify the ACC as a power conference that's not going anywhere. I think that's mm-hmm. like the one more good. Like you talk about Miami, Clemson, now then Notre Dame. Yeah, you know it's hard to throw in Florida State these days, but Florida State, maybe Virginia Tech. Like there's a there's some solid tradition there. NC State quarterback you. Mm. Like there's some solid traditions there in the in the ACC. I think Notre Dame is like that that last heavyweight that they've been missing basically the entire, whether it's Florida state's run or Clemson's run. It's like, there's never that there's very rarely that second team. Clemson was kind of coming on near the end of, you know, when Jimbo and Florida state was winning the national championship and getting to the playoff and everything like Clemson was emerging, but they weren't, they weren't necessarily like a two power team conference. Like even though Texas hasn't been good in a while, the Big 12 is at least like has those two power brands with Texas, Oklahoma. Like the, the the Big 10 at least has Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State would probably make a claim to as being like a power brand like that. But I uh, I think Notre Dame is really what would make what would solidify the ACC. I just I just hate the idea of them in the Atlantic Coast Conference, but I'm a geography uh, guy. So who knows that, that that could be what's doing it for me. I would like it too. I just don't think it's going to happen. Like I would love because it would solid, like you said, it would solidify the five conferences. I think that would keep a lot of this from for at least a while. I think that would be something where that's the lifeline for the ACC. But that's Notre Dame doing a tremendous solid to both college football, college football fans, and the ACC when they don't have to do that. They just have all the leverage. Like they would be doing the ACC a gigantic solid by doing something like that. And I don't know. It just seems unlikely that they would pass up the Big Ten contract and the revenue that they would get by joining the Big Ten for the ACC. Maybe I it'll just, be uh, NBC's. Uh, they're 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 going to flex to try to make it happen. The 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 ESPN's going to have the SEC. Fox is going to have the Big Ten. The NBC will try to jump in, snag the ACC, get Notre Peacock, Dame in there. The Peacock app. All the games would be on the Peacock. I think mm-hmm. I think we're on to something. The 
Amazon, Amazon will probably pick up uh, the Big 12 or something. Mm. I don't know. I think we're on to something here. I mean, that's coming. Like the NFL Sunday tickets move into one of the streamers and um, you already got Thursday Night Football on Amazon. I'm certain that it's it's coming for college football at some point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm excited because it seems like the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are next up and uh, it'll be the small schools kind of getting rated a little bit to beef up the Pac-12 and the Big 12. But I'm excited because ultimately... The longer we can keep the five divi- five conference model, the happier I think we all are. I still think there's impending doom a little bit of the super conferences, especially when you listen to Saban this week uh, on the podcast. But hey, if you can put it off till I'm 45, let's go. Let's do this. Let's put this thing off until uh, as long as humanly possible. I'm here for it. So right now, gun to your head, mm. Big 12's got to get to 16. Mm-hmm. Who are the four? Who are the four teams they go with? Memphis, SMU, South Florida, UConn. UConn. Yeah. So they're really going to go all in on this basketball. It's the basketball. Thing. I'm that's telling you, here. like I think that's part of it. That could. I like that answer. I, I feel like UConn does more than I'm. I'm trying. I'm still thinking geography. I'm trying Good to go to baseball what, what too. By going, the way, we're we going Tulane or we're going Tulsa. I just but, don't think um, they move the needle. No, but they but, don't. UConn. That's a, that's a good call. Yeah, I think Utah find UConn finds their way into the Big Twelve. I'll say that, and that's going to shock some people. But I think South they find Florida, their way. Central Florida, nice little uh, Big Twelve. Your classic Big Twelve matchup. <laughs> They, I mean, Matt Grothy years, they felt like a Big 12 team a little bit. Uh, peak <laughs> South Florida. Uh, what Matt was his name? Uh, the quarterback who was really fun for a couple of years. Uh, oh, um, Flowers? Flowers. Quentin Flowers, was that it? That sounds right. Yeah, he was fun. Yeah, no, they, they've had their fun running gun years down there in Tampa. And I think they just, they're building a new stadium. So they just got that uh, approved. So there's more money pump it in there jeff scott trying to get that thing moving off the ground but um yeah the bulls i, I think that those are my play four. at the trap it's the worst baseball stadium i've ever seen so turn into a cool indoor football stadium there you go uh your and thoughts the, and move the rays to canada or something i don't know i mean that or might puerto help. rico maybe i don't know maybe i don't know what the rays are doing i think that might be a little bit of a travel issue for teams <laughs> to come in and out of puerto rico all the time um Thoughts on the blue chip ratio from friend of the pod, Bud Elliott, because, you know, I don't know if you've heard this or not, Matt Green, but without being in that uh, above 50% threshold for blue chippers, you are not going to win the national championship. We can go ahead and write that one in. Uh, This year we have, um, how many was it total uh, that made this Uh, list? 15. Yeah. Uh, And there's some surprises on this list. We've got, and I'm doing this in order of the most blue chippers over the last four classes. Um, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Texas, LSU, Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida, Oregon, Michigan, Penn State, Miami, and Auburn. Your thoughts, Matt Green? Well, I think when we when we look go just the way we approach college football. I think most people don't think there's even 15 teams that can win a national championship, right? It's just such Mm -hmm. a top heavy sport, but just the premise being like, this is the bare minimum. Like this is the the prerequisite for even being, even thinking you can win a a national championship. Mm -hmm. And I I, like, there's obviously a couple of teams on there that you're like Florida, Auburn, they have no chance of winning a national championship. Like it's, it's not going to happen. Even, even like an Oregon, like that would just be absolutely shocking if they won the national championship this year. 
but you just have to have the prerequisite talent to even be in the conversation. So I think that's why there's certain teams like a Cincinnati, you know, you, you know, they weren't on this list uh, a year ago and yeah, they had, they were a good story. They were in the playoff, but you just knew they didn't have the talent to win it all. Mm. And you go into this season, like, you know, who, who's a candidate out there that, you know, they think, you know, they're a dark horse, but, but are you a dark horse? Like, Utah, NC State, maybe even a Tennessee, like USC, maybe even. It's like, yeah, all those teams are confident that their team should be good and they might start around the top 10 or so, but at the end of the day, you just have to have the talent. And that's why most of those teams, a, a Rose Bowl bid is, is about as good as they can ask for, an Orange Bowl bid, a Sugar Bowl, like something like that. It's just a New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl in general. Like, you just have to like like Bud Elliott says like he I think he went back to 2011 with um, teams having at least 50 percent blue chip. Uh, every single team that's won the national championship has had at least 50 percent blue chip ratio. So yeah, I couldn't really disagree with this list, and it's obviously like 15. Is, it's obviously not even really that many teams. Well, I think this is why Florida and Auburn have popped up as like hey they might be better than you expected. Where you see Auburn in the top 10 in FPI, and you see like. Vegas hedging on Florida finishing number two in the East. This is why, like, even though we have questions about the staff or the schedule or the turnover or whatever, like these are still pretty solid situations that Malzahn left and Dan Mullen left. This is still a lot of talent. This is still a lot of holdovers from previous classes. Like joke all you want about Mullen and Malzahn, but they were still winning a lot of football games and they still accumulated a lot of blue chippers in that run and this Florida team was one of the five six best teams in college football two years ago so I understand like that's that's something to monitor are the teams who are like oh they're gonna be a blah LSU Florida um Auburn and I think even Oregon to an extent you talk about like they can't win a national title this year but like them just winning the Pac-12 in year one of Dan Landing would not be surprising. Like them being in the college bowl playoff would yeah. not be all that surprising at all. I don't know though. Has has there ever been a first year head coach that's won a national title? Um, I'm trying to think of one that comes to mind. Has there been no, one? I know Malzahn was I want to say Malzahn was year one when they but went. But he went. He didn't win though. They yeah. didn't win at all. I don't put me on the spot. I don't think there is. I'm a big right? second year head coach guy. Yeah. A lot of coaches have done in the second year, but I don't think anyone's ever um, you know, I think um what's his name? Miami. Larry Coker may have oh, been Oh, Larry Coker's a good call. But he that may not have been the year one. I'm at I'll have to look at that. Because I know um who's it, Butch Davis that mm-hmm. kind of built him back up and then bounced for the Browns. Yes. Um so that may not have been year one. Two thousand could have been um year one of coker but 2001 but he, it looks like was year one of coker that was his first year okay yeah, no go. it was yeah no he won the rose yeah 12 and 0 he won his first year okay nice um but yeah and i think that's why these certain brands have a certain expectation because auburn looks at their their team finishing with a losing record and it's like florida looks at their team finishing with a losing record like we have the talent to not have a losing record. Like that's Mm. why this is so unacceptable to do it somewhere like here. And, and that's, what's crazy. Like Dan Mullen, like we, we all love to, to, you know, poke fun at Dan Mullen and talk about the, how poorly they did in recruiting, 
but that's why everything in college football is just so relative. Like, mm. like, yeah, he was, he was a terrible recruiter. He was signing the 10th best class in the, in the country basically every year, right? Like the mm. 12th best class in the country, but that's sixth or seventh in the sec. And he's, he's nowhere near really competing for the conference on a, on a, on an annual basis. So I obviously don't think Auburn and, and Florida are, are going to be there at the end of the year, but I think they have more talent than someone like a Utah or even Tennessee was probably the team. I was, I was kind of surprised to see not on this list, but we might still be a year or two early for them truly having like the blue chip ratio on their roster. Like they're moving in the right direction. And I think, like it's probably only a year away till they are on, till they are on this list. The way they've been recruiting the last month or so. Yeah, I think we're going to see some flips. I mean, Tennessee will be here in a year. I think that's that's coming. Uh, but you know, they're not expecting to win a national title just yet. Uh, this is you just keep building and you try and get there. It's a process. It is a process. But um, last US, thing before, mm-hmm. oh sorry, last thing U, USC is definitely going to be on this list next yes. year. And I think the the most damning one not to be on here is Florida State because hmm. like you, you look at Texas wait hold on they're more State. damning than USC kind of like USC it's been a while since USC was like truly like obviously they have the whole West Coast at their disposal I was going to say like, Matt they have the advantages Southern California but Texas has been like Florida State's been there just like Texas like they might not be winning games like they should but they've still been in the top five, top 10 in the recruiting rankings. Now, like the last couple of years, you're not even seeing Florida state up there in the recruiting rankings. So it's I mean, just, Travis it's Hunter, kinda, not picking Florida state was just uh, yeah. like that halted all kinds of momentum that that swerve the last minute. And it's no fault to Hunter. He goes like, go wherever you uh, think is for best. Sure. But like that was a brutal, devastating day for Florida state football. Without a doubt. And you just, and you look right uh, this past week. Um, Raylan Wilson, you know, that mm. dude, I, I hyped him up a few, uh, few months ago. The guy I wanted, uh, Michigan commit. He since decommitted from Michigan a couple of days ago, committed to Georgia. Like this guy's from Lincoln High School in Tallahassee. Hmm. He was a Michigan commit. Now he's going to Georgia. Like he didn't even consider going to Florida State. And this is a, a top 50 player in the country, top five linebacker. Like Florida State's just fallen hard. And I, it's, like, even though they were always there, they always had the talent, even if they were, you know, something was going wrong, like kind of, and that's how I kind of compare them to Texas. It's like, now they don't even have the talent. Like, it's just, it's kind of crazy to see. And now Miami is, appears to be unseating them, I guess, if, if you will. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by seeing Florida State. Like as two people who grew up in the nineties, two thousands, like, what we have used to Florida state football. It's just, it's kind of bizarre to me. Like USC is a great tradition, but they were only really truly elite for that kind of like five, six year period there in the early two thousands. Like they, they kind of fell off a little after Pete Carroll, like Florida state is just crazy. Not seeing them even on the list. Mm. Um, Matt green, Penn state, do they pose the biggest threat to upset Ohio State this year. Uh, Brandon Mark Cello uh, of 24-7 Sports uh, wrote an article about this. You know I'm a big Penn State guy on this podcast. Big Penn State <coughs> truther uh, when it comes to James Franklin and that bunch and the talent that they're bringing in. And we should also mention they are in the blue chip ratio uh, for this season. Um, good recruiter, good team. And the point he made is that like Clifford doesn't get hurt last year. They probably win 10 games. 
and we have a completely different perspective on what Penn State's looking like going into this year. They've had a really weird bad luck situation the last couple of years in Happy Valley, and I think it's kind of clouded uh, where the program has been, where it's going under Franklin, and how sturdy things are. He's got like 19 years left on his contract with all of his extensions when he gets poached by uh, insert next big power five job opening. Um, but there's a reason that everybody wants James Franklin. There's a reason that there are calls made to Franklin's agent about like, Hey, how happy is he in happy Valley? And it's because he is a really good coach and he is someone that uh, has a really good, I mean, the program is really, really good. So when we talk about Michigan state or uh, even Iowa or that Purdue or who could pose the biggest threat, but it's like, Joey Porter's back, Sean Clifford's back, and a healthy Sean Clifford, even with Jahan Dotson leaving, you bring in a big-time receiver transfer in uh, with Mitchell Tinsley, who, as we both know, lit it up for the Hilltoppers last year and Bailey Zappi in that high-octane passing offense that this should be a good offense. It's year two with Mike Yurcich, um, who came over, um, longtime uh, offensive coordinator at... Um, both uh, Ohio State and Oklahoma State, but a lot of people remember him from Oklahoma State. And so you get year two for him. So it's the same system for Sean Clifford in this offense. So they get more used to that. They were able to te- uh, keep uh, Poindexter as their DC. He doesn't get the Virginia job. He stays in-house. Brent Pry goes to Virginia Tech. A lot of, lot of returning guys. I think seven guys on offense are back. I'm okay with this. Penn State always plays Ohio State tough. That's always a trap game for Ohio State. And a lot of people have circled like Purdue being the trap game for Ohio State. But I I think Penn State's going to give them a game. And I think Penn State's going to be really good this year. What do you think? Yeah, I like that pick for sure. And just like going back and looking at their, their 2021 season, like you said, I don't know if you said snake bit or just mm. bad luck, but it totally was like, they were just a scrappy team that was winning with defense early on. Like, I feel like they, they seem like that kind of team that's like you can't, you're kind of learning to win as the season goes along. You know, like that, that win against Wisconsin, like that was just that was just a great football game, honestly, just mm. to open up the season. And then, you know, to beat Auburn the way they did. And then you had Clifford go down versus Iowa. Like they lose to Iowa by three, lose to Illinois in – I don't know if that was the first overtime game in college football, but that was the first one I remember watching with this new mm. overtime rules. And it's like, what a garbage way to lose a football game with this two point con- conversion contest. Like, so like seven and six, like do bowl games matter anymore? I don't know how many people were sitting out for the bowl game. I almost want to throw that out. So you got mm. seven and five, four of those losses are by four points or less. Like, and you played Ohio State at Ohio State. So four points, four of the losses are by four points or less. And the other one is to Ohio State. So like at Ohio State as well. And they all, I think, was a nine-point loss, something like that. So I think they're definitely a team. You put Sean Clifford back in this lineup and he's healthy. I think things are completely different. And I think clearly the administration at Penn State is not scared off by – the last two years and all the bad luck they've had because they are a hundred percent committed to James Franklin and, and they put their money where their mouth is. So I, uh, I don't hate that at all. I think Ohio state is just so good this year, but I mean, if you're going to find someone that, that can beat them and it's at Penn state, uh, Ohio state's going to play at Penn state this year. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, I think that's a good pick. 
Hey, we'll see. We'll see. Sean Clifford has to stay healthy, though. I think that's just imperative. Like, you got to keep him upright uh, this year. So, I think, we shall uh, see. Going at Auburn early, too, like, that's a good that's a good measuring stick game. Like, Auburn is obviously – their season is not going to be over when Penn State comes to town, right? However negative you could be as an Auburn fan, like, they're going to have all the hype, all the, all the hopes in the world, week two, week three, whenever that is, when Penn State comes in. Like, you know Jordan-Hare is going to be absolutely – rocking so i uh if you can get past a game like that in a hostile environment early in the year i kind of compare it to like maybe like a georgia going at notre dame in 2017 like notre dame wasn't you know the best team in the country or anything but it's just like a an early measuring stick game that if you can get through this hostile environment like you're you're not gonna have many more you're not probably not gonna go into another environment as loud as jordan Hare the rest of the season so I uh, that, I think that's one that's going to be an awesome non-conference game early on. Hopefully Auburn I, doesn't get some garbage targeting ejections in that one. Well, that's another thing is like that would be interesting too if like they they flip it where both road teams win this home and home. That'd be wild. Uh, you don't see that very often in these Power Five home and homes where the away team wins both games. Um, that's yeah, rarity. that's a good point. Um, but we'll see. We shall see. Uh, Matt Green, we have a leading topic tonight, um, our head coach power rankings. But next week, we're going to get into our season preview over under win totals uh, for the group of five and then power five. But because the college ball season, it's right around the corner, Matt. Um, we're going to start here with our head coach power rankings. We did one through 10, and then we have some honorable mentions and not listed. Um, and then uh, a couple guys who we think uh, could join the top 10 after this season. Uh, you go first, though. Who is your who's your one through ten? So at one, I got uh, Nick Saban. You know, just gotta gotta put the goat out there. Two, I'm going Kirby Smart. Three, Dabo Swinney. Four, Brian Kelly. Five, Jimbo Fisher. Six, Luke Fickle. Seven, Jim Harbaugh. Eight, Lincoln Riley. Nine, Mike Gundy. And ten, Kyle Whittingham. What is your list? You want to talk about my list? You want to say your list first? Well, let's say our my list, and then we can break okay. down who we left off because Luke Fickle is an interesting one. Um, for me, I had Saban one, Dabo two, Brian Kelly three, Kirby four, Jimbo five, Lincoln Riley six, um, Mike Gundy seven, Kyle Whittingham eight, Ryan Day nine and Kirk Ferentz, 10. So right off the bat, I mean, we got to start at the top here. Mm. How is Brian Kelly ahead of Kirby Smart? Okay, so Brian Kelly, I have ahead of Kirby Smart at the moment because I think getting to the college ball playoff multiple times, getting to the national title with uh, getting to the playoff uh, post-BCS, getting to the BCS championship game with Notre Dame, Two appearances, that's huge. Uh, three total, I guess. Um, Essentially three, yeah, yeah, appearances. That's huge um, at Notre Dame, and we like to make it seem like that's just this easy feat. And you go through the track record of Brian Kelly at um, at Notre Dame, at Cincinnati. Kirby's track record is still just Georgia, and he's done a great job. He won a national title. That's great. He's recruited really well. He's become a lot better of a CEO than any of us. I think even Georgia fans would have expected that he'd be this good of a CEO type coach this early. Um, there's, there's a lot of credit. And I think you could sell me. It's not like I'm completely 
tied to Brian Kelly over Kirby. I just think Brian Kelly, and it's kind of like the argument with Urban Meyer, where Urban won at Bowling Green, Urban won at Utah, Urban won at Florida, Urban won at Ohio State. Like, you just put him anywhere, he's going to win. And I think that's the case with Brian Kelly. I think he's kind of like the modern Urban Meyer to me. And I think that's not talked about enough yet. And there's a Notre Dame connection already there and some weirdness with their personality traits and that sort of thing. But the guys just win. Like, they're very cringy at times, but you just know they're probably going to win a national title, whichever Power 5 job they take. And the last three head coaches have won national titles at LSU. He's already putting on a recruiting clinic in Baton Rouge. And it seems likely that he gets a ring in the next couple of years. Kirby's got one. But I think getting Notre Dame to two playoff appearances, getting him to the BCS national title game, regardless of what happened against Alabama, most teams are getting sloshed by Alabama. So it's like, all right, man, like if we're just looking at Brian Kelly's job acumen based on how he performed against Alabama or Clemson or whoever in the biggest games of the year. He played Georgia close. He also played Kirby Smart extremely close, um, both at Notre Dame and in Athens. It wasn't like those games were blowouts and Kirby just blew out Notre Dame in both their head-to-heads. They were super close, and Georgia yeah, I mean, had the talent advantage. And, and they yeah, st- both of those games ended with with Notre Dame's offense on the field with a chance to win the game, right? A, dri- a drive to win the game. So I just I think I would my it comes down to me being like I think. There's just more data on Brian Kelly being able to win anywhere than Kirby being able to win everywhere. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying that Kelly is like the modern Urban Meyer where he can win anywhere and win national titles with any power to five job. That's fair. I um and just the sustained success that they've mm-hmm. had at Notre Dame for the last you know basically decade I think is uh is big time. There's only like one or two real like down years in there for Brian Kelly. So I think all that's fair. But um at the end of the day he's zero and two against Curbs, and I think uh he's did, two did Georgia really have the talent advantage in in 2017 over yeah. Notre Dame? Was it really that? I mean, you had talent. more talent, yeah. Like they're playing with their more. backup quarterback, making his first career start as well. A true freshman. Mm-hmm. So I mean, George had a lot going against him. That's all. That's all I'm saying. But regardless, um, and that's and then that's I had Cur- uh, Brian Kelly one spot, or I think I had Dabo one spot behind Kirby. But um, well, no, here's I, another I, thing. So I didn't even mention Grand Valley. So he went 118 and 35. He went. 13 and 1, 14 and 0, 14 and 1 in those last three years there. And then he gets to 9 and 4 his last year at Central Michigan. He goes 10 and 3, 11 and 3, 12 and 0, 34 and 6 overall at Cincinnati. And then 8 and 4, uh, the vacated wins in uh, 2012 and 2013. I don't know what that is uh, for. I don't know what. We'd have to go back and look to see how those games ended. But 10 wins four times his last three years, 10 wins, 12 wins, 11 wins, uh, 10 wins, 11 wins. Like the dude literally just reeled off five straight double digit win seasons at Notre Dame. And they were a perennial uh, college ball fav- like contender and made it in multiple times. I just, the dude won everywhere. And at 60 years old, man, the guy but, has literally can't never punished Kirby for just getting the dream job, right? I'm not punishing bat, him. Right? I'm saying that's he's how not going to get... win anywhere else. He's, he's, he's going to be at Georgia. Well, that's my point though, is that like, I'm not holding it against Kirby. I'm just saying that when you're comparing the two and when you're having to, uh, what's the term, uh, split hairs, I'm that's giving fair. the tie to the guy who won everywhere and at tougher spots. Like, I'm just going to do that. 
I think that's fair. Um, kind of like the other Rick Pitino or, or somebody who who won at multiple mm-hmm. multiple spots is definitely always impressive. Like you said, Urban Meyer. Um, the other one I was I, I wish I hadn't seen your list before mm. I started making my list because I'm not sure I would have included Mike Gundy hmm. uh, in my top ten. But then I saw him on your list and I was like, I gotta put I gotta throw Gundy in there. So I had Gundy at nine. I um I had Lincoln Riley down at eight. Mm. And I just I need to see more from Lincoln Riley. Like I'm I'm aware that <laughs> Before he actually became the head coach at Oklahoma, he did have a strong influence on on the offense the last couple of mm. years under Stoops. But he just has not – he never elevated Oklahoma. Like Oklahoma was exactly as good the day Lincoln Riley left as they were the day he got there. Mm. And I think that's that's a flaw to me for Lincoln Riley. Like obviously it takes being really good to keep a team perennially – top five, top six. And that's basically what he did until obviously this past year. But I, I think that just, that definitely hurts Lincoln Riley. Like I almost didn't put him in my top 10, but I feel like he's got a longer track record than Ryan day. Like I can't put Ryan day in there. Like I just, they're the only other program that was, that is remotely close to what Alabama has done just with the talent, just the pro factory that they are is Ohio state. And Ryan day just walked right into that urban Meyer. We talked about like one of the greatest coaches in college football history, like one of the best recruiters we've ever seen. Like he just built Ohio state into just this pro factory. Not that they weren't a pro factory before he took over, but Ohio state is just the elite of the elite. And I don't feel like Ryan day, like, you know, he's won the one college football playoff game. Like he's got no national championship, but like, Let's not forget he also got to the national championship on a year they went like what five and oh, six and oh, like just about every year. 2019, they they made it all the way through the regular season without a loss. But just about every year, Ohio State inexplicably loses a game to someone they shouldn't, someone they're way more talented than. It was more of a thing under Urban Meyer than it has been at Ryan Day. Like, I mean, he lost to Oregon, he lost to uh, to Michigan this past year. Not that those were bad teams, but they obviously weren't as talented as Ohio State. Like so I just – with the the Jim, Jim Harbaugh quote says it all, right? Some people think they start on third base or some people start on third base and think they hit a home run. Like that's just how I feel with Ryan Day. Like this program is just so elite. He has not elevated them to a level that they weren't at before he took over. And I can't, I can't put a guy in the top ten after, what, three years as a head coach, two and a half years as a head coach. I think the reason I put him in and I just have to include him and I put him at nine is just that like there are scenarios where we've seen the guy who just gets promoted from within go south, right? Where it just, he handed him the keys. He was unproven. Like Ryan Day could have absolutely imploded and not been a good game day coach. Uh, Mark Helfrich is a yeah, name that comes That's to a good example. That's what I'm saying. So we kind of take, I don't want to take for granted Ryan Day has kept this thing moving and he's clearly a great offensive mind. Clearly, like he's kind of in that Lincoln Riley mode, right? Where we're still waiting and seeing with everything else. But I mean, there's a case that Ryan Day is a better all-around CEO and head coach than Lincoln Riley. I think there is an absolute possibility that's the case. Um, I do think. I think. I think that's true. So I don't know. I think he has to be included somewhere in the top ten. I think he, like we've talked about with Kirby, where he's kind of the victim of just you were expecting college football playoff results for uh, for. Ohio State and for Georgia 
but it's the same thing of like, well, what are they supposed to do? Like he's in there, they're in the conversation year over year. This is probably a gigantic year for him and a lot of these narratives because this is the most talented team he's had to this point. And they are yeah, really outside of Bama. Like they're the favorites. I think you could even say they're probably the favorites to win the national title this year. Um, I think they're more the favorites because there's no doubt. Well, obviously, there's you got to play the games on the field. But to most people, there's no doubt they're getting through the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Like as good as Alabama is and, and should be, like they're still like, well, you know, A&M's a dark horse. LSU got Brian Kelly. You know, there's 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 obviously Georgia coming out of the East. So there's just so much more competition coming out of the SEC that it feels like this is Ohio State's year for sure to be the betting favorite. Um, I, I have Dabo still at two and I think I would have had him lower if he didn't pivot like he has this, this summer. Dabo's pivoted, man. He's on a recruiting clinic. He's entered the portal. He is, uh, he's betting on his, uh, in-house coordinators getting the bump. They're putting the playoff. Like everyone's expecting Clemson to make the playoff this year. I think Dabo, until he doesn't win double digit games at Clemson again and before they come back down to earth, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt and he's still a top four or five coach in this sport. I, I can't shake Dabo was like universally declared number two to Saban in this sport for years. And he really hasn't done anything. Almost he almost tried did- to throw a one B in there. Like mm-hmm. like he was that close to Saban. He was never close that close to Saban. Well, I think part of that was because they were like, well, he's the obvious guy to replace Saban. So it's like yeah. he's the Saban in waiting. And I just don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think he's gonna be the guy. I don't know why anyone would want to um follow Saban. I, I just I think he got a good day in Clemson. If he can win at Clemson, just stay at Clemson. I think I think he gets a second quarterback. I think cause everyone I, I'm like I I subscribe to the narrative a little bit, but I also feel like it's an overblown narrative. Like, mm. oh, all he well, he got Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, and that's the only reason he's so good. It's like, well, yeah, but he got Deshaun Watson and <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Like that's that's something he accomplished. It's like right. the it's like the people that talk about all the talent on Georgia's roster and and don't want to talk about, well, yeah, Kirby Smart's a great recruiter. He's the reason all that talent is there. Like, mm. so you can't discredit him for having these two basically generational type quarterbacks. It's obviously not generational if they're like back to back, but you get the idea. DJ Uyunglele, like we have to see some serious improvement to, for, for them to be a legitimate playoff contender. Like if you, if, if he plays the way he played last year, like there's no way there. like, yeah, maybe they go to the playoff. Kelly Bryant wasn't, wasn't elite, but there's no way they're winning the national championship with DJ Uyunglele, not improving significantly. Um, so if if we if we get through him and then um I'm blanking on this next guy, the five star, help me out. Uh this freshman coming in. Oh, Vin- oh, oh, Klubnik. Or are you talking about the guy who started who's this year, Corey Klubnik? Yeah, who could potentially yeah. unseat Uyunglele. Yeah, like if, Klubnik. if if, if, if that happens. Klubnik. Like if if we get through like two quarterbacks post Trevor Lawrence and they're and they're still like not elite and they're like a nine and three, ten and three with a bowl game type team. Okay, then I think you can start to say maybe Dabo just got lucky with some some transcendent talents like quarterback. But to this point, he's got two national championships. And I think that's just the ultimate flex. It's like no one else has multiple national championships. So you have to put him up there. I may be biased uh, as a Georgia fan, but it feels like Georgia and Clemson are almost two ships passing in the night, right? Like 
like Clemson was here at the top of the mountaintop. It, it feels like that time is over because they're not a blue blood. And we've like, we've seen the chink in the armor and we're like, Oh yeah, we all knew this had to, to end eventually. Clemson's just not a powerhouse like this all the time. So I, I'm curious to see how Dabo bounces back from this, but like, I can't put him lower than any lower than three. You know, it's interesting. I think it was Brandon Joseph on 680 The Fan uh, last week, maybe, who had this nugget that I thought was super interesting, was that um, the last two, like, so Deshaun Watson took over as a freshman, went to the college football playoff, um, took over for an incumbent guy who was not... Not, not his freshman year, though. Was he not a freshman? No, because his freshman year was when they played Georgia at in Athens. Mm-hmm. The Todd Gurley game, you might as well call it. Yeah. And so Cole Stout was right because Watson I remember got a drive in that got a couple drives in that game but by the time they went to him in the fourth like they were kind of getting blown out but was he the starter by the end of the year though yeah like halfway through I think that's what I'm saying so he went in at some point like he took over he was not the guy immediately but then he took over and then Trevor Lawrence did not start his first like he did not start as a true freshman right out of the gate but that year he took over and that's, there is a precedent that DJ Uungale will not be the starter by the end of the year. So their last two iconic quarterbacks, and Kate Klubnick is a 99% uh, percent, uh, 247 sport composite guy, like 99, number uh, one in the state of Texas, six nationally. I mean, Kate Klubnick is a dude. And I mean, it would not be all that surprising if DJ, I mean, it did come out this week that he dropped like 20 something pounds. Um, to make him move around in the pocket better, I guess. But I just, I don't think it's there. I think it's a Spencer Rattler situation with DJ, where I think the fans are already kind of getting antsy and they're going to be like, we're, we're ready for Cade, kind of like with, their, with Caleb Williams. And I think, I, I, I do think that Cade uh, Klubnick will be the guy uh, by the end of the season and DJ will be quarterbacking somewhere else in the Southeast. I just don't Probably. know where next year. Probably, and I almost compare him to like a like an Anthony Richardson. It's hmm. like both didn't play very well last year, mm-hmm. but Anthony Richardson showed signs, right? He he had those those moments. They're like, okay, this guy's got talent. Like you, I, you know, he's got to put it all together. He's made some bad decisions, threw a lot of picks, but you see the talent. Like I saw the talent in 2020 when Uyunglele played in some when Trevor Lawrence was out a couple times, but Mm. I just didn't see anything encouraging in 2021. That would, that would make you think like he's going to take another step in 2022. Like someone like Anthony Richardson, I feel like while he was underwhelming, I can at least see, I can see the, what, what success looks like. And I I just don't really see it for, for, uh, for DJ. Yeah, I, uh, I don't either, but we shall see. We shall see. I think we can, we can uh, get to this point where I think it's super interesting. So I have Kirk Ferentz. You have Jim That's Harbaugh. That's what I was about to bring out. I Kirk think this Ferentz. Is, this is a good back and forth because it is how you see the two programs, two Big Ten programs that are in great standing. Uh, Iowa, obviously, in the Big Ten title game this past year. Um, they get bounced by Jim Harbaugh's team in really, really rough fashion. Iowa was number two in the country at one point last year, Matt Green. Iowa, I just think if anyone other than Kirk Ferentz, who's the longest tenured, I think, FBS coach uh, right now, I'm pretty sure it is Kirk Ferentz, um, at it's least in the power. Be. Yeah. 99. The dude, that man has just won 
at a school where winning like this would not happen with just about any other coach. Like, you know, I love some Matt Campbell. And if you're one of these two guys, I think Kirk Ferentz just belongs. Like he just went to another big 10 title game. Like he's just death taxes. Like my offenses are never going to evolve. They're never going to be fun to watch. I'm still going to sign like this five-star offensive tackle that he just signed. And we're still going to be huge. I'm going to put tight ends in the NFL, like Dallas Clark. I'm going to put together a top five defense. We're going to play grind and pound. Oh, not just Dallas Clark. They, Noah Fant. Noah Fant. Uh, what's a Hawkinson? TJ yeah, Hawkinson. Yeah, TJ Hawkinson. Like, that was two first rounders on one team. But that's what I'm saying. Like, Kirk Ferentz has done more with less than, I mean, look, I love Jim Harbaugh. I think it just, and it's just hard to do this list, man, because I just feel like it's so difficult to win at Iowa and for him to just pull off number two in the country with Iowa this past year is just insane. They were Georgia North for a while for this season where the the takeaways and what they were doing defensively was just preposterous. And I think Kirk Ferentz, when you're doing a list, it's kind of like he's the new Bill Snyder where I don't know how anyone could do a top 10 list during Bill Snyder's heyday and not include him because like what he did at Kansas state is insane. Like it just, it's we've seen post bill Snyder, Kansas state teams and like what that looked like for the majority and it's just not not the same. I just I think Kirk Ferentz is a top ten coach. I I can't escape that. I think you got a lot of data to support it. To be fair, I um because the the term less with more is one of the more overrated overused mm. terms by all college football fans. Like this guy does less with more. Like how many times you hear Dabo <laughs> does less with more? Lincoln Riley does less with more. Like. Yeah, these guys did, didn't have – they weren't number one in recruiting rankings, but they were always the most talented team in the conference, and they blew through that conference. Like, Kirk Ferentz is a true – do. oh, I said less with more. Doing mm. more with less. Reverse that. Kirk Ferentz is truly one of those doing more with less than than just about anyone else. Like, he – like if, if anyone questions him ever, like what he should just hold up a picture of Bo Pelini. Like, is this this what you guys want to do? You, you guys want to be Nebraska? Like, Mm-mm. just just let me do my thing. You'll we'll win eight nine games every single year, and we might even win ten or eleven uh, here and there. So make a couple Big Ten championships. So yeah, I, I can't hate on on Kirk Ferentz at all. Uh, Can I give you a great what if with Kirk Ferentz? That? So do you know who went to Iowa and was a favorite to land the Iowa head coaching job once their legendary coach retired? Hayden Fry. Uh, back in 99? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Who, who was it? Bob Stoops, who mm. ultimately chose against his alma mater and became the head coach at OU. There is a complete wow. like how can you imagine college football if it's not Kirk Ferentz and Bob Stoops goes home and coaches the Hawkeyes instead? Like Oklahoma obviously wins a national title not long after that. Uh Hypel. I mean, that's a group. that's a that's another year two national championship guy. Exactly. And he could have gone to Iowa and never won a national title. But I mean, Oklahoma, like they're obviously like a blue blood, like they're way more tradition than, than Iowa. But hold on, don't like, do they're this. On, they're, they're going on some bad years in the 90s. Like Bob Stoops brought Oklahoma back. So oh like, he could have brought Iowa all the way. Who's to say? Uh, history? Iowa never winning a national title? Is that enough? 
I'm just saying, Bob Stoops, man, like that, he was a big time coach. Like, look at Oklahoma. What were they? What were they before? Uh, before Bob Stoops? Do we need to go to the Barry Switzer years? Oklahoma's no, been a pre. What? Oh, what? Yeah, we're Barry Switzer. That's years ago, though. Like, but I'm way- saying there is a history. There is a long hundred year track record that Oklahoma football can win national titles. Three There's years no before Bob Stoops got Iowa. there, three and eight, four and eight, five and six. Oh my God! As well, honestly, keep going. Two years before that, <laughs> five, five and one, six and six. Like mm-hmm. it was a solid decade after Barry Switzer left. They're nine oh nine and three hundred twenty-seven overall. No, they're they won the conference of, fifty times. They're one of the powerhouses, but in the nineties, that was not the program Bob Stoops took over. Like, oh if God. he goes to Iowa, who's to say Iowa isn't the same powerhouse that Oklahoma was in the early two thousands? I'm gonna be sick. I this mean, you've seen that Iowa is a good team. Like Bob Stoops is clearly a better coach than Kirk Ferentz. I don't think anyone would ever argue that. They lost. So Bud Wilkinson from nineteen forty seven. To 19 uh, ancient history sir the dude never lost you go through this with the big eight like they just never lost and you go through all these chuck fairbanks barry switzer um you're talking about the Gary you go like 71 to 80 they lost two games three times and yeah. ne- never lost more than that for like a decade i can't Oklahoma's believe we're going down this definitely. rabbit hole of comparing iowa's history to oklahoma and their it's pedigree obviously better but i'm saying bob stoops is a huge reason why oklahoma's history and perception and prestige is what it is like he's a he was a institution for close to 20 years for i mean i love bob stoops i'm not going against him i'm just saying bob stoops does not have the same success at iowa there's no way that's fair that's a that is a fun fact and i I can't believe he uh, turned on his alma mater like that it's hard but he made the right choice no that's fair i um so kirk ferentz I can't hate on you throwing him in the top 10. I don't feel like he's a top 10. Isn't that like a, a, a Stuart Mandel thing? I think mm. it's, it's like a running storyline. I think with him, like every year that like wherever he puts Kirk Ferentz in his <laughs> top coaches list that like, he just gets just berated by Iowa fans on how he's too low. Mm. Um, but I think that's pretty typical with, with anything these days. But I felt, uh, I felt like Jim Harbaugh, with what he's done at Michigan, what he's done at Stanford, and the 49ers, not necessarily my pick if I'm making the guys I want to coach my team, not necessarily mm. making the top 10, but Harbaugh's a damn good coach. And at multiple stops, I think he's proven that. And, you know, maybe the brand of Michigan has a higher ceiling than Iowa, but they've uh, they've competed for a few more conference championships, I think, uh, in his in his short since since Harbaugh got to Michigan, so I'm I'm, go, I'm going Harbaugh there at seven. Um, we both basically have Gundy and Winningham, giving them some love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're two coaches that are a little a little underrated. I thought you might go Pat Fitzgerald hmm. uh, on there because you you like to uh, to go with the guys that do more with less, but he's not doing was- more with less. I don't know if you've been watching Northwestern football the last couple of years. That's not happening right now. He's just doing less with less. That's fair. That's fair. But the two I was shocked didn't make your top 10. Mm. I think Matt Campbell may have been in your top five last year. And James Franklin, you obviously kind of already talked about him. But yeah, I know those are two guys you're big on. Franklin's like number 11. He's like the quintessential number 11 for me. Where like he's just going to be outside of it until they make the playoff. And then it's like, all right, he's back in. Um, But he's right there on the outside. He needs to be. Ohio State and get over the hump and be 
like in the college football playoff. Like if he gets there, because Penn State's capable of being there, just get to that hump and then you're you're in there firmly. But look, I'm a Franklin guy. He's number 11. Campbell's tough. I don't know. I think we're going to learn a lot because they lost so much production from last year's team to this year that there's a lot of folks who don't see this team even being bowl eligible. So I am very curious to see what the Cyclones look like. And look, you deserve a lot of credit for building, but last year they should have been better. Like I think Matt Campbell underachieved last year in Ames. And I think that team had a lot of talent with Brees Hall and Purdy and company. And I think they underachieved where they could have been. So he unfortunately slid out for me and Kyle Whittingham is like, that was the thing. It was like, it was either him or Whittingham Winningham wins the Pac-12 and he has this Utah team rolling and they're the favorites, I think, again, to win the Pac-12 this year. I think Kyle Whittingham has to be in the top 10 somewhere. Yeah, I think so for sure. I think Matt Campbell is a uh, he's a cautionary tale, I think, almost at this point. It's staying like, too long. Yeah, it's like it's cool. It's honorable. Like, yeah, you know, you you're a man of your word and whatever. Like you're you're comfortable there. But there's a reason a lot of guys don't do this. Like. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sustain success at a place like Iowa State. And now, like, this is just your list. This might not be the, you know, the overall opinion of Matt Campbell, but he's not as high on on people's radar anymore as he was. Like, I mean, this guy could have gotten the LSU job probably two, three years ago or so. You know, mm-hmm. like, there's so many big-time jobs he could have had if he wanted. And now... Like, I don't know. Now now there's a, a different perception of him. And, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're he's kind of paying for his loyalty. Like, we'll see. Maybe he bounces back and, and maybe he maybe it's just a Paul Johnson situation. And and they're cool just having a, a coach that kind of can compete for a division title or a, a conference title appearance once every four or five years. Like, that would probably be the greatest coach in Iowa State history if, if that were the case, if they're competing – once every five years. So who knows a new big 12 without Oklahoma and, and Texas, how that can potentially look for Ohio, uh, Iowa state. But I mean, that's, I don't know. That's a long way out right now. So it, I, I thought it was interesting that I'd see him on your list. I know, I know you're a big, big fan of him. Hey, two things can be true. I'm still a big fan of uh, Matt Campbell. And I just think he underachieved last year. And I think he has to bounce back. I think he kind of has to work his way back into the top 10. Um, we'll end on this the five that you could see joining the top 10 after this season. You have Ryan Day, Sam Pittman, Mel Tucker, Lane Kiffin, and Josh Heupel. Uh, explain this list, Matt. So Heupel is definitely the the longest shot from here. I think uh, a 10-2 and two year from Heupel, year two at Tennessee, that's going to go a long way. A, a year where they upset Alabama or upset Georgia, I mean, this thing gets turned on its head. Like, who knows? Heupel... You know, we could all be singing Heupel's praises at that point. But I think Sam Pittman is the one that just, for one, just everybody loves him. He just mm-hmm. seems like the ultimate, like, culture guy. Just, just I don't know, just everything you could say about, like, he views Arkansas as a destination job. Like, Arkansas is one of those teams that we've seen almost like a perfect progression progression through through two years. Like, with what Chad Morris turned that program into, like I feel like we almost almost make people forget that Arkansas actually does play big boy football. And I think it was what just like four and six or something year one. Like it wasn't anything like great, but Arkansas football just been that bad that people were just so encouraged. And then for last year to break through the way they did, 
they're a legitimate dark horse in the SEC West. Like I think they'll they'll probably start top twenty, top fifteen, and if Sam Pittman actually puts together a ten and two, eleven and two type season, like nine and three type season, like I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Like they have maybe the toughest schedule in college football with. It's not just Cincinnati. There's someone else they have at a conference too. I think right. They have uh, Texas again or no? I I was gonna say that. I don't think they might. I'm pulling um, it up. But yeah, so I know Cincinnati's on. They got there BYU on, on the road. BYU oh. there. I knew they had somebody. Oh. So they even have Liberty at home. This is a horrible schedule for them. That's true. But they I have mean, those one teams, cupcake. They, they have should... Missouri State. Like this schedule, folks. You get Cincinnati at home, South Carolina at home the following week. Missouri State then. They get, oh my God. Okay, so they get at AM and then Bama at home in back-to-back weeks. Why would you not split up AM and Bama? Hey, man, there's nothing you can do. It's an SEC West schedule. You also got LSU on that. And you at least you get a break and- there a little bit. But good God, you go on the road to Starkville and BYU back-to-back. Oh my God. That's yeah, rough, man. I, rough they're not schedule. getting nine or ten wins. That's not happening. Uh, we can go ahead and kiss that one goodbye. Oh, see, I don't know. I think Arkansas is definitely a candidate. I, I really like Arkansas this year. I think KJ Jefferson's one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. I mean, that that honestly, that would be a good conversation. Just hmm. the best quarterback in the SEC this year, because I feel like two through about eight is almost up for grabs. Like it, it's kind of hard to rank all those guys. I'd probably put Hooker at two but three through eight or so is is you know anyone's opinion um well i think so people I, are just I, gonna have two different arguments so like i hate having this conversation because people are like will levis man nfl guys love him it's like okay great he might profile as a good nfl quarterback he's not gonna have a better statistical season than hendon hooker or stetson bennett like that's not happening so i just don't or, or even a uh, max johnson or right. i don't know spencer rattler like these are like, not there's... nfl quarterbacks but like will levis is not gonna have a bigger impact at kentucky like it's not gonna happen no and i honestly i kind of penalize a guy like 24 touchdowns and 13 picks i think he was last year like mm-hmm. I, I kind of penalize a running quarterback that that throws a good like if sets uh sets can kind of move a little bit if well, you know there are touchdown interception radio was close to that setson actually has a lot in common with will levis as the kind of gunslinger that he is like but will levis is a true like an actual dual threat that like they're calling design runs for him like powers up the middle like that sort of thing like yeah like, i think like nine touchdowns or something rushing mm-hmm. touchdowns like when you're a true running threat like that like and you're throwing picks it's like I feel like it's just it's worse than if you're a pocket passer that's I don't know under pressure and you're having to throw the ball like you can run like so mm-hmm. I think I kind of penalize guys more like Stetson obviously can cast some legs to kind of scramble but Georgia's not running many design runs for Stetson Bennett but um mm. but we got off on a tangent there but I uh so I think overall I think Sam Pittman is a is a candidate to get on there and then um I think mm. a big year from Mel Tucker uh, from Michigan State. Like, I think they're a kind of team that, despite how good they were last year, it still feels like, yeah, this is Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State's conference. And we'll mm. even throw Wisconsin in there sometimes. Like, Michigan State feels like they just kind of constantly have to prove themselves. If they can follow up last year with maybe a third straight win over Michigan for Mel Tucker, like, I think that's huge. And I think you could start to see him get in some of these top 10 conversations as well as as Lane Kiffin like the first 10 win season in Ole Miss history like I I personally expect Ole Miss to take a huge step back this year but Hmm. if they don't then I think with how much everyone just 
all of a sudden likes Lane Kiffin. He went from just like the the biggest douchebag in college football, to, and now he's just like the most likable character in all of college football. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's just Twitter activity or what, but it's I don't know. It's something about Lane Kiffin's vibe. Everyone's digging it these days. And if if, if you see another ten win season or something from Ole Miss, like I think people just like genuine people, and he seems genuine. And I think Lane's yeah. just like college football is hilarious. And I'm going to just admit that this is hilarious. And I'm Lane Kiffin. Like, that's just it. He doesn't seem like he takes himself too seriously anymore. And it's just like he's having fun. He's like, I'm the portal king. And he just eggs on folks on Twitter. And you can tell that he's just here to have fun, man. Like, that man is yeah. just living his best life. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. Because I think if a, uh, if a Butch Jones, if a Dan Mullen had done the get your popcorn ready. Yeah and got immediately blasted by four or five touchdowns, <laughs> they would not have been joking about it the next week and calling themselves out. And I think that's why Lane Kiffin, he's endearing to people. It's like, yeah, I, um, I'm i not going to throw the headset this time or what, whatever the, the comedy made was. But he, he laughed at himself. I think uh, you won't see a lot of guys, other guys do that. Well, that's all I've got, Matt Green. That was fun. That was a fun exercise. Yeah, man. I'm a... Uh, Ready to get into the uh, to the pick'em to the to our over under win totals. I are uh, that's truly a sign that college football is is right around the corner. Yes, it is, uh, and I'm excited. It's gonna be fun. Uh, it's gonna be fun. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. Matt Green on Twitter, Matt underscore W underscore Green. Give him a follow there if you're not already. And uh, yeah, we'll be back same time next week, my friend. Yes, sir. Hey, y'all, that'll do it for the Friday, July 15th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Thank you, as always, for making the Chase Most Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and however you listen to this very program here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, It means a lot, and I appreciate your support each and every day listening to our program. It's a lot, and I spend a lot of time with this content and putting out this content, and really just uh i feel like we're in a good group uh, all across the board with our content schedule and just kind of where things stand on the daily because you're getting daily content for me here um every single day which is awesome and it's uh it's a lot of fun and i greatly and uh enjoy it so it's a lot of fun um and i appreciate you as always for sticking around and listening to all of our different programs and all your support as this show has continued to climb up the ranks on the charts is just awesome to see and i appreciate you guys uh, backing me and continuing to listen to the program tell other folks about it listen share it out tweet it out uh tell friends family members coworkers, all that good stuff so um biggest thing though uh, leave this show a five-star rating and a review tell other folks why they should listen to the podcast why you like it all that good stuff and then please 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 make sure that you are subscribed on youtube youtube.com slash chase podcast Yes, like and subscribe, all that good stuff. All right, uh, new episode tomorrow. We're unveiling the final piece to the local hour um, weekend edition here on the program that we tape on Fridays. So uh, the Nashville Preds. Oh yeah, we're getting Nashville Preds uh, coverage here on the program with uh, Charlie Burris and Brian Baston. So very excited to unveil that along with the Atlanta Sports Guys and Go Big Orange Friday. So there we go. Uh, all right, Uncle Derek, how do I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.